If you have your Bible with you, or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the New Testament book of Mark. The Gospel according to Mark chapter 6. This morning we will be reading verses 45 to 56, finishing out chapter 6. And like last week, we will be looking at a passage that almost every single one of us should be supremely familiar with, and my goal this morning is to show you how unfamiliar we all are actually with it. And as we look at Mark chapter 6, I aim to present to you Jesus as the king of the impossible. With all that in mind, let's read Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 56. This is the word of the Lord. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. We love this initial story. It's one of our favorites. You can't turn on Christian radio for more than 15 minutes without hearing a song that references this story. But did you just notice what was missing? Peter's nowhere in this story. Peter doesn't try to walk out onto the waves. Peter doesn't lose sight of Jesus and start to sink. That doesn't happen in our story. Mark has something else to tell. Usually, when we talk about Jesus walking on water, where we end up is what you and I can do if we keep our eyes on Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that would preach. I could pull that off this morning. But that is not what is in the text. This isn't about what you and I can do if we keep our eyes on Jesus. If you read what Mark has to say, this has everything to do with what you and I cannot do, even if we keep our eyes on Jesus. 
Mark is trying to show us our inability, our helplessness, and push us in our need and our inability to the king who can do anything. Brothers and sisters, Mark aims to show us this truth. Jesus can do the impossible, and that's exactly what it takes to reach our hearts. Jesus can do what no one else can do, and brothers and sisters, that's exactly what you and I need to have happen to belong to the king in the first place. Salvation is not as easy as we like to think. It takes the king of the impossible. Now, I want to walk through this passage with you and show you two stories of the impossible. Notice I kept reading after the boat. There's a story Mark shares right after the story with Jesus on the boat. And what I want to do this morning is compare the two or contrast the two and think about the way people responded to Jesus. Now, fair warning, almost our entire time will be in the first story. So if it gets late and you're wondering when it's about to turn, when the switch is about to hit, trust me, it's coming. But we're going to spend most of our time this morning on the boat with Jesus. First story of the impossible is the boat going nowhere. The boat going nowhere in verses 45 to 52. We'll read that again. Mark writes, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Notice how the disciples end up in the middle of a storm. Did you catch it? Verse 45, Mark says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go. That word immediately connects us back to the picnic with Jesus, where he feeds 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. The story ends with a satisfied crowd. Plenty of opportunity for successful ministry. There are 5,000 willing and able bodies ready to follow Jesus, and the disciples more than likely want to take advantage of that opportunity and use them to promote the kingdom of God, but Jesus forces them to leave. Jesus makes them get into the boat. Jesus sends the disciples out away from the crowds, away from the success, away from the popularity, and into a test of trouble. Jesus puts them there. Verse 48, the disciples were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. That word painfully 
It tells us this was no easy trip on the boat. The disciples were strained. All 12 of them were grinding. They were literally being tormented by the exercise of getting this boat moving. Now, I'm not making this up. That phrase, making headway painfully, is used in a couple of different ways in the New Testament. Do you know what it's used to describe? The pain of childbirth and the suffering of people in hell. That's how intense this fight was in the boat. Now remember who we're talking about. Twelve young dudes in the prime of life, all the strength God has given them. More than one of them, a fisherman who has spent his life making money out at sea. They know how to row a boat. But when Jesus sends them out there, they can't make an inch in this water. They can't get anywhere. They're literally stuck in the lake. Why are they there? Why are they being tormented? Why is it so painful right now? They could be back at the picnic, eating some more with their buddies, talking about all that Jesus has done, but now they're being tormented. Why? Not because they did something wrong, but because they obeyed Jesus. Alan Cole writes, The storm did not show that they had deviated from God's will. Instead, God's path for them lay through the storm. How many of you need to hear that? It might be, brothers and sisters, that you're suffering right now, not because you did something wrong, but because you are exactly where God wants you to be. When you're stuck out at sea, tormented, just trying to paddle with all you got, can I help you? Don't ask yourself, what did I do against God to get here? Ask yourself, what does God want to show me now that I'm here? What is God doing right now? John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's one of the lessons the disciples should be learning, trying to paddle that boat with no Jesus in the boat. They cannot do anything without him. But the good news of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus shows up in the middle of the trouble. Jesus doesn't leave the disciples out there. The end of verse 48 About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, you've seen that. You've read that how many times. But how many of you have connected the dots to see that's the gospel? Jesus came to them. We are helpless against the wind of our sin in this world. We are unable to make headway on our own, and Jesus comes to us. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 4, we were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. Take a moment. Think about this. How did Jesus come to the disciples? Exactly how did this happen in their experience? Jesus comes at their absolute weakest point in the most impossible way. Did you hear that? Jesus came at their weakest, lowest, roughest, most impossible moment, and he does it in a way they would never expect. How do you think Jesus is going to come and move in your life? Do you think it's going to be any different? It's the fourth watch of the night. That means it's 3 to 6 a.m. They've been at it all night long. And they're about to give out from exhaustion. And Jesus walks over the waves, walks past this. These guys, all 12 of them in unison, have their oars all the way down the water. They're straining as far as they can, as hard as they can. And they cannot move. And Jesus is just walking like it's nothing. Makes it look easy. Brothers and sisters, whatever is in your life and you think it is overwhelming, it has nothing on the king of the impossible. Your situation is not too big. Your problem is not too difficult. The waves in your life are not too high. Jesus can walk right over them. And the reason Jesus shows up this way is so that you and I and the disciples will learn to depend on him. That we'll see the waves are too big for us. That we'll see it's too impossible for us. And we'll go to him. That's why Psalm 37 verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. There's another reason that Jesus moves like this. There's another reason Jesus does the impossible like this. It's part of his plan to show us the glory of God. Jesus has come to show us who God is, to show us the power and the glory of who God is. Look at verse 48. I guarantee you, you've read this story 6,000 times and never once thought about this verse as hard as you should. Are you looking at chapter 6, verse 48? Mark says, He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, Walking on the sea, are you ready? He meant to pass by them. What? What's happening here? Jesus saw the disciples suffering, being tormented. He saw them making headway pain. They can't get anywhere. He sees their problem. And he comes and does the impossible, walks over the waters with all his infinite, omnipotent power, and he means to pass them by. What's he doing? Stick with me. All right? You want to see what Mark's talking about? I need you to stick with me. It's going to take him. We're going to have to to paddle. It's going to be a little difficult. Everyone's got a theory. Everyone's got a interpretation. And some of them make sense and some of them are playing crazy. And I'm not going to waste your time talking about these crazy theories. But there is one 
that is rooted in Scripture that I believe presents us the king of the impossible. What does Mark mean when Jesus means to pass them by? Well, that phrase, pass by, it seems simple enough. It seems innocent enough. But when you go into the Old Testament, that phrase, pass by, is supercharged with theological importance and weight. It means something. As John Meyer writes, this this phrase, pass by, is used when God is making a striking appearance on earth to a select individual or group for the purpose of communicating a message. When God passes by, it is not simple. It is not just a a regular expression. It means God is showing up in someone's life to show them something they need to see, an important truth about who God is. Let me show you. Let me prove this to you. Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23. Moses says to God, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But God said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock while my glory passes by. I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's go to Elijah. Elijah has just demonstrated God's power over all the false idols of the day. He's in a moment of depression, however, because he thinks he's the only one who believes in God. And God comes to him with a message for him. 1 Kings 19, verse 11 to 12. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, look, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after a wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. God passes by Moses. God passes by Elijah. But there's an even more important story of God passing by in the Old Testament that you need to know, that you need to see. It's the story of Job. What happened to Job? God sent Job out into the storm. Why? Not because Job sinned, but because God chose Job to show off his glory. Just like the disciples, not because they did anything wrong, not because Job did anything wrong, but because God sent them there. And look what Job finds out as he's talking about these things with his friends. In Job chapter 9, verses 2 to 4, it says, Truly, I know that it is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? Hold on to that. But then you go to verse 8 in Job chapter 9. Job says, it is he who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. 
Verses 10 and 11, Job said, It is he who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Now you step into the book of Mark. And Jesus is doing great things. Jesus is doing marvelous things. Jesus is literally trampling over the waves of the sea. Jesus is the one who is wise in heart and mighty in strength. And when the disciples find themselves in the same boat as Job, Mark tells us Jesus means to pass them by. Jesus aims to show these men the glory of God. Jesus intends to show us who God is. He aims to make the goodness and the power of God visible. As David Garland writes, Jesus is not pulling off a staggering visual stunt to amaze his friends. Rather, the miracle attests that God himself is visiting in the flesh. Jesus did not walk on water like some holy Tony Hawk in the X Games trying to show you a trick, a stunt, something to make you say, wow. Jesus is here to make you say, wow, God is great. God is here. God is glorious. John 17, verse 4, Jesus said, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now let me bring it to your neighborhood. You get into a storm, and it might be no fault of your own. It might be because God put you there. I don't know. And you don't know what to pray. You're stuck. You're helpless. You're hurt. You're torn. You're tired. Do you know what you should pray? A prayer that God will answer every single time. It's what Moses prayed. God, show me your glory. Stop praying about what you think you need. Stop praying about how you feel and dare to pray, God, pass me by. Let me see your power on display in my life. But when you do that, just be prepared. You're going to be surprised. You're going to be shocked. When this happens, the disciples, the guys who've seen everything from Jesus, they don't recognize him. They don't know who it is. They think it's a ghost. They can't make sense of this. They're terrified. They're more scared now than when they were in the storm. And Jesus comes and what does he say? Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. It's the second storm they've been in and the disciples, they just seem to do the same thing over and over again. Jesus tells them who it is. It's God right there. Don't be afraid. And how do they respond? They're utterly astounded. They're stunned. They're blown away by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's not a good thing. To be amazed and stunned the first time makes sense, but this isn't their first rodeo. And they're just blown away. They don't get it. This scene ends with a haunting statement. It doesn't say get out of the boat and keep your eyes on Jesus, right? There's no wonder we don't read this story and talk about it. Look at how it ends in verse 52. Mark says, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You remember that 
phrase in Job chapter 9? God passes them by and they do not perceive. They do not understand. The last time Mark used that phrase in the book of Mark, he was talking about the synagogue leaders. Mark chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. The friends, the disciples of Jesus are responding to the glory of God like Jesus' enemies. They understand God as much as the unbelievers. Despite all they've seen, the hearts are dull. Despite all they've experienced, their spirits are stubborn. They watched Jesus feed the 5,000 and it didn't matter. Did you hear that? Some of you think you just need to see God move in your life and then you would believe and then you would live for him. You've already seen it. God's worked in your life before. God's done something before. He doesn't have anything more to prove. And you're sitting just like the disciples, unbelieving, asking him for more. These guys served Jesus. They, they preached for Jesus. They're just coming back from a mission trip for Jesus, and they still don't know Jesus. Now catch this. Have you got it? When we end this passage, their hearts are just as stuck in unbelief as their boats were in the water. Their hearts are going nowhere. And they stay there until Jesus rises from the dead. That's why in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, Luke tells us Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus did the impossible, softened their hearts, opened their eyes to see God's glory. And friends, can I help you here? They are not unique. Their story is no different than our own. In our sin, we are all in the same boat together. Romans chapter 3, verse 11. Paul tells us, no one understands, no one seeks for God. On our own, in our sin, we are just like the disciples. We can see Jesus walk on water right in front of us. We can see Jesus feed the 5,000 right in front of us. But on our own, we do not get it. Our only hope is Jesus. God created us to know him, but our sin hardened our hearts. We rejected his ways, and God sent Jesus to us. And Jesus trusted God to the point of death. He was crushed for our doubts. Jesus was crucified for our unbelief. Jesus was killed for our stubborn disobedience. And Jesus did the impossible to bring our rebellious hearts to God. And he was raised to walk, not just over some water, but he walked over death. He walked over the grave. And brothers and sisters, his call is that his life, his kingdom is here right now. His power to walk over anything is here right now. His, his ability to give you a life forever is here right now, but you have to believe. You have to apply that to your life to take what Jesus offers and to take it and to run with it, to live with it. Believe, brothers and sisters. And so many of us would say, well, I do. That's my story. I always believe. I always have. 
But can you just think through the disciple story here and what it should show us? Being around Jesus and seeing him do great things is no guarantee you belong to him. Dear church member who's been here your entire life, have you heard that? Being around Jesus and seeing him do great things doesn't say anything about your name in the, in the book of life. It doesn't mean that you belong to him. The greatest danger that we face is not a storm in our life. The greatest danger we face is the unbelief in our heart. The thing that's going to trip you up is not a test on the outside. It's where your heart is on the inside. And we've kind of set things up to be in the disciples' position. It's so dangerous. The disciples saw what Jesus did with the 5,000. They don't understand it. They don't apply it. They don't change their life because of it. And then they get into a test, and they don't learn their lesson. They don't trust God to do the impossible. How many lessons have you not understood? How many times you come to church one week, you see Jesus do something, you hear something about Jesus, but you don't let it sink down into your life and change you so that you don't learn your lesson, and the next time you're just trying to catch back up. That's stubborn, hard hearts, brothers and sisters. It's the most dangerous reality there is. If we belong to Jesus, we have to remember what Jesus has shown us. Remember who he is and what his power and ability can mean in our life. John, 17, John 1 verse 14, John says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What would it look like if you left this morning and believed that Jesus could do the impossible in your life? How would that change your attitude? How would that change your approach to work tomorrow morning? How would that change the way you approach that broken relationship that you feel is impossible to fix? How would it change that haunting conversation you need to have? How would it change that impossible scenario, that problem that's too big to solve if you believe that the God who rose from the dead lives inside of you and empowers you to live in faithfulness? How much different would you live? To help us consider what that would look like, I want to show you the other story of the impossible. After the boat going nowhere, Mark shows us the people running everywhere. The people running everywhere in verses 53 to 56. Let's read that. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. This town, we won't spend much time on this at all, but you should know this. This town was known for fertile soil. 
It could grow crops, unlike most towns and cities nearby. It was known for these fruit trees. And as we see in Mark chapter 6, they didn't just have physical fertile soil with fruit trees. They had some spiritual fertile soil. Jesus steps onto the shore, and what happens? It's a frenzy. They are running everywhere with urgent faith. They weren't at the picnic. They didn't see Jesus stroll across the sea. But the minute Jesus shows up, the people flock to him. The minute he steps on the shore, they are running after anyone they can think of that needs the power of Jesus in their life. Grabbing everyone they can. They don't need much. They just need a single touch. They just want to touch the fringe of his garment. If they can just get a little bit of Jesus, that'll be enough power to fix whatever problem they're facing, whatever problem their family's facing. And unlike the disciples in the boat, these people recognize who Jesus is. These people recognize their need for Jesus. These people believe Jesus can meet their need, and they grab hold of the opportunity. What a contrast. Now let me ask you, do some hard assessment. Which group does your life look like? Are you going nowhere? Are you stuck in the same spot you were in a year ago? Are you stuck in the same spot you were in a decade ago? Are you stuck in the same spot you've been your whole life? Or are you running everywhere because the power of Jesus has showed up and you know what he can do? Which one are you? Brothers and sisters, we have lost our urgency. We have lost our hope. We have lost our belief that God can do the impossible. Too many of us are spiritually stuck. We're not growing more fruitful, more useful, more effective, more like Jesus. We're stuck. We're not growing more bold in our evangelism. We're growing more scared of our circumstances. We're not growing more confident in the resurrection power of Jesus over the grave We're more scared of death. We're more scared of persecution. We're more scared of losing. We've lost our urgency. Brothers and sisters, some of us went out around the neighborhood and prayed for our neighbors this week. And just like this passage in Mark, we've gone by it so many times, we've stopped seeing the detail. We've stopped seeing what Jesus sees. We've lost our urgency. We've lost our concern for our lost neighbors. We've lost our concern for people who need Jesus to do the impossible in their life. And we've stopped praying, God passes by. We just want church to help us out a little bit. We just want that program to serve our kids a little bit. We just want that fellowship time with our friends a little bit. We just want it to be like the way it used to be. But we are not concerned with the urgency of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, the glory of God matters to us more than anything else. And if that's true, we should be like these people on the beach when Jesus shows up, bringing everybody to Jesus. Who do you need to bring to Jesus? 
If you believe God can do the impossible, what's stopping you from getting on the phone and bringing them to Jesus as soon as you leave this building? What's stopping you from calling them and having a gospel conversation about the fact that one day they're going to die? And one day they're going to stand before the king. And one day they're going to have to give account for what they did with their life. And you have the message of hope that can resurrect them and give them a change and give them a hope and give them a future. How urgent are you going to be in proclaiming that to your friends? Pastor, what if they reject me? What if they say something? What if they don't want to be my friend anymore? What if they turn against me? What if I lose my job? Jesus is the king of the impossible. Trust him. Commit your way to him. He will act. Believe in Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. What can he not do? There's no person that's too far gone, that's too far lost. There's no neighborhood that's too far gone, that's too far lost. There's no church that's too broken, too far gone, too far lost. Jesus is the king of the impossible. One last question I want you to answer and to think about, and I hope it encourages you. I'm trying to encourage you. I hope that's happening. But which group would you stick around with? If you were starting a mission, starting a ministry, starting something, trying to build it up off the ground, which group would you stick with? Which group would you choose? Would you choose the boat going nowhere or the people running everywhere? Every single one of us would take that beach that frenzy of activity, those people excited about Jesus. But Jesus, brothers and sisters, chooses the boat going nowhere. He chooses the disciples that don't get it. He chooses the stubborn, hard hearts to become the shepherds who feed his sheep. In Acts chapter 1-8, it's the boat going nowhere that Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Every time Jesus sends us, every time Jesus uses us, he continues to do the impossible. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what it's going to take to reach our hearts, to reach our families, to reach our neighborhood, to reach our city, to reach our nation, to reach the globe. May God's grace and power prevent us from growing hard hearts and getting stuck. And may he cause us to live with desperate faith and urgency in his resurrected King Jesus. Let's pray.